I want to just share with you just a few really short stories this morning um, of some of the unsung heroes of the faith. Uh, and I suppose we might argue that because they're in the Bible, they are actually sung. Um, but these are the, the people that we don't normally hear about, the ones we don't normally preach about. Not your Daniels and his lion den, or his Noah and his boat, or, or Moses parting the Red Sea, but those that tend to be footnotes in other people's stories, people that are perhaps more on the sidelines. And yet, without them, the so-called biblical greats wouldn't have got where they were going. And indeed, when they lost their way, perhaps wouldn't have found their way back. And I want to begin in Exodus chapter 2 with a man called um, Jethro. Now, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you will know that although he was born a Hebrew, he was raised an Egyptian in Pharaoh's household. But after killing an Egyptian, he witnessed beating a fellow Egyptian. He was... um, a fellow Hebrew, sorry, he was sent into exile. Um, he literally had to flee for his life. And he ran away to a place called Midian, which was far away from Egypt. And it was in Midian that he met Jethro's uh, seven daughters at a well. Seven daughters. Can you imagine the arguments? Um, And after dealing with some nasty shepherds he didn't want to share, he helped them feed their flock. And in response, um, Jethro invited Moses into his household. And he even gave him one of his daughters to marry Zipporah, presumably not on the same afternoon. Um, But the amazing thing about Jethro is that we learn later on in Acts chapter 7 that Moses actually spent 40 years in Jethro's home. 40 years years of his life. Moses, a Hebrew-born, Egyptian-raised exile, who at this point in his life felt so lost that he named his firstborn Gershom, meaning I've become an alien. I'm I'm a stranger in a foreign land. He gave him a home, and he gave him a family, and he gave him a place to belong, somewhere he could call his own for 40 years of his life. Never mind It's all right, mate, you can crash at mine, you know, for the weekend, help yourself to what's in the fridge. This is like next level encouragement for Moses. Jethro went all in in his care. He made him a part of the family by allowing him to marry Zipporah. But that's not the only reason I want to give Jethro a shout out. Because after Moses' encounter with the burning bush and his return to Egypt and the let my people go thing, um, Jethro comes and finds him again in the desert in Exodus 18. And here we find some of the most wonderful and um, wholesome interactions in the whole of the Bible. Um, firstly, we discover that, that Jethro has been looking after um, his daughter and his grandchildren, Gershom and Eleazar, this whole time. This whole time that Moses has been off in Egypt, he's been taking care of them, way to go granddad, stepping up to childcare. Secondly, we get this really beautiful exchange between Moses and Jethro, where Moses tells him all that God has done, and, and Jethro is like really delighted and happy, and he goes off to make a sacrifice, and he ends up hanging out with Aaron and some of Moses' mates. But then my favorite bit in the chapter, the next day he goes to see Moses at work, 
And Moses is like there really early in the morning, super early in the morning, and he works until really, really late in the evening, and, and he's the judge, so he has to tell people what to do. And he's so busy, he barely has time for a sandwich, like it's a nightmare. And after the day is done, Jethro takes him to one side, and he, he puts an arm around his shoulder, and he says in verse 17, Moses, buddy, what you're doing, it's not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And in the most kind and loving way possible, he tells him that he can't do it on his own. He says, Moses, you, you, you've got to delegate a bit. You've got to find some other people. Get some good people around you, some good God-fearing people and put them in charge of the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, the tens. Just... You just focus on, on the really difficult cases. And Moses listens, and, and he changes the way he's been doing it. He changes his way of working. But let's just consider, just for a moment, the impact that Jethro had in Moses' life. When Moses was lost and alone, wandering in the wilderness, he gave him a home and a family for 40 years. When Moses returned to liberate his people from Egypt, he cared for his grandchildren, Moses' children and his wife. He looked after them. And when Moses was drowning in work, he was on hand to offer some sage advice to steer him in the right direction. I think it's entirely fair to say that without Jethro, Moses wouldn't have got very far at all. And maybe this morning you're a grandparent yourself or an in-law or an outlaw, and um, maybe you're just feeling that your contributions don't matter, that they're perhaps insignificant. I just want to encourage you today to never underestimate what a little bit of advice or a wisdom can do, what a little bit of care and generosity, a bit of kindness, how that can shape somebody's life. I just wonder what other lessons Moses learned from Jethro during those 40 years they were together. Okay, second story, second rarely sung hero. Um, this time we're going to jump to the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 9, where we're introduced to a man called Ananias. Now, we don't know a great deal about Ananias other than that he was a believer, um, and he lived in a place called Damascus. And it's possible that he was one of the displaced believers from the previous chapter. We find out that all the believers are chased out of Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. It says a great persecution broke out against the church, scattering all except the apostles. But whether he was one of those believers or not, in Acts chapter 9, he receives a message from God. And this is what he's told. It says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Fairly straightforward instructions. He even gets directions straight to the house. But there's a problem. You see, Ananias knows who Saul is. Not um, because they were mates, but because Saul had a reputation. In verse 13, he says, Lord... I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. You see, Saul wasn't exactly a nice guy. 
Again, in the previous chapter, we're told that he approved of the stoning of Stephen. In fact, he even offered to hold the coats of the people that were murdering him. And Saul had it in his head that it was his job to destroy the church. He would literally go from home to home and drag people out and take them off to jail. And Ananias was wise enough to know that this was somebody to be avoided at all costs. But what God hadn't told Ananias yet was that he was going to use Saul in extraordinary ways. And so after he finds this out, Ananias agrees and he goes to Straight Street and he prays with Saul. He prays that he would receive the Holy Spirit. And he he spends time with him. And, And actually he ends up baptizing him. It's this incredible testimony. Now if you don't know who Saul is, he's also referred to in the New Testament as Paul. And he becomes maybe the greatest missionary of all time. After Jesus, he's probably one of the most quoted people of all time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I wonder if Paul would ever have spoken those words if Ananias hadn't taken the time to see him, to embrace him, to love him, to pray with him, to show him kindness despite him not being worthy despite him actually being somewhat of a nasty piece of work. In that moment, Ananias acted like Jesus to Saul. He was willing to see beyond the person he was to the person he might become with God's help. He demonstrated grace and forgiveness to Saul, allowed him to be reborn in the waters of baptism, a changed life. I wonder if sometimes God is working in the lives of people that we don't ever expect or imagine he would, waiting for us to be Jesus to them. That's a scary thought. I know at times I haven't deserved the grace and forgiveness that's been shown to me. And yet it's the very thing that saved me, that saved us. One of my favourite song lyrics is, it's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive at the restart. One more story, and then I'll sum up. I know some of you... Bible nerds will have heard of Jethro and Ananias. So I've gone out of my way to find somebody really, really obscure for this last one. Okay? Um, and if you have heard of this last one, then uh, you, you win. <laughs> You've completed the Bible. Well done. Um, it's a chap called Abed Malek. Anyone? Yes. <laughs> And we read about him in Jeremiah chapter 38. <clears throat> and Abed might have been his name, um, or it might have been his title, because it means servant of the king. Um, and the king in question is a guy called Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah before its destruction by the Babylonians. But don't worry too much about that. And in Jeremiah chapter 38, the prophet, Jeremiah, um, has been thrown into a cistern. Um, there's no water in it, but it's full of mud, and he's quite literally stuck in the mud. I don't know if that's where the phrase comes from, but it might do. Um, And basically what happened is the the city officials uh, felt that his message from God, which was about the impending destruction of Jerusalem, was somewhat um, demoralizing for the troops. Um, And so rather than listen to him and work out what they needed to do, they decided to get rid of him. Enter Ebed Malak. Now, Ebed heard about this, and he was brave enough to go to the king and to stand up 
for Jeremiah, against the officials, against everybody else that wanted him gone, Abed fought for his freedom. And without his bravery, Jeremiah would have starved to death, forgotten and alone. Very brave. But the thing that impressed me most about Abed is in verse 11, where it says, So Abed-Melech took the men with him and went to the room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes and there, uh, from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. He said to Jeremiah, put these old rags and worn out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so. And they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. You see, Abed knew that Jeremiah would have been injured. He knew that he would have been mistreated at the hands of the officials. And so he carefully considered how best to care for him, to look after him, to love him in the circumstances. Just like the Good Samaritan placing the man on his donkey, Abed sent down some padding to ensure that no further harm would come to him as he was poured out. Not only did he save his life, but he did it in the most loving way possible, the kindest way that he could. I wonder how many people do we know that have been hurt by others, perhaps even hurt by the church, that don't just need rescuing, but actually need somebody to care. Someone to show them love in real and practical ways like Ebed did. Three unsung heroes for you this morning. And there are many, many, many others that I could have spoken about today. As I was preparing, I thought about uh, Mary, Susanna and Joanna who gave their finances to support Jesus' ministry. I thought about um, uh, Shippurah and Pua, the midwives, who um, defied Pharaoh by letting the little boys live. I thought about the, the married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who worked with Paul alongside him, encouraged him. I thought of other great encouragers in the Bible, like Barnabas, known as the, the son of encouragement, people that we would never refer to as perhaps the main characters in these stories, rarely spoken about, rarely preached upon, but their impact, the difference that they made was undeniable. And very often through simple acts of love and kindness, they changed the world. By opening up their home, like Jethro did, or, or Mark's mother does in Acts 12. By reaching out to someone ostracized by others, like Ananias did for Saul, or Jesus does time and time again. By demonstrating care for somebody who has been hurt like Abed Malik did, or the seven chosen in Acts 6 to care for the widows and the orphans. The Bible is just full of examples of people through, who through simple acts of obedience to God, simple acts of kindness and love made a real difference. And you know, as I've sort of reflected on my own journey of faith, as I've been kind of forced to do over this sort of week, thinking about this Sunday, it's really, truly the little things that have made a difference to me. I can remember when I was a teenager in the church youth group, just really struggling to fit in until somebody invited me to come and sit on a table with them. And it was the, it was the first time that I'd really felt wanted there. Felt like I, I belonged. I can remember the encouragement that I received in, in the kind of early days of ministry from others around me. 
I can remember uh, an old boss telling me that they thought I had leadership potential, something I'd never seen in myself, but it sort of opened up a whole new way of thinking. I can remember friends pursuing me when I left the church, giving me space to, to talk and to think and to pray. I can remember a simple encouragement that was given to me on a beach a couple of years ago when I was um, really struggling. And I could go on and on and on, but the point is, it's really easy, I think, sometimes to get ourselves into a headspace where we feel like we don't have anything to offer. And I certainly feel that way a lot of the time. We think that, you know, what I've got to give is it's nothing. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not enough. It isn't worth anything. But it's not true. In fact, nothing could be further, further from the truth. We all matter to God. And every act of kindness and compassion we take, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, can have far-reaching consequences in the kingdom of God. We see it time and time again in Scripture. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus spoke about the eternal significance of giving food to the hungry, of giving water to the thirsty, of inviting a stranger in, of clothing the needy, of caring for the sick or visiting a prisoner. I doubt Jethro or Ananias or Abed-Malek ever knew the significance of their actions, but they chose to act faithfully, to offer what they could, to do what they could, to live as best as they could, and they allowed God to take care of the rest. And we get to see the results of their actions. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that we all have this amazing part to play as the family of God. We all have this amazing part to play in bringing about the restoration of all things, in saving the lives of those around us, in encouraging folk, in reaching out to folk. That's all of our responsibility. As Ananias' friend Paul would later write to the church in Corinth, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you, and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the encouragements that we find in your word from people that served you faithfully and saw the fruit of their actions and sometimes even didn't, but found ways, God, in whatever capacity they had, with whatever you had given them, to bring about your kingdom on earth. Father, I pray that in our lives, we would be continually looking for ways that we can bring about your kingdom on earth. Father, we would recognize that every seed that we sow in faith, even if we feel that it's small or insignificant or doesn't matter or can't possibly make a difference, we know that you would multiply that, that you take those things, God, and you use it to make a real difference in people's lives. Father, I pray that we would be on the lookout for those opportunities every day where we can just bring a bit of your grace, a bit of your hope, a bit of your goodness, a bit of your forgiveness into people's lives. People that maybe are overlooked, people that are maybe ostracized and pushed to the side, people that maybe are lost and wandering in a wilderness having been exiled from their lives. 
people who have maybe been hurt and injured by others in the past. God, would you let us be your hands and feet to them? Would you let us be Jesus to them? Would you let us make a real difference to those around us? In Jesus' name.